Hello and welcome to Cond, the podcast all about the world's greatest fraudsters and con artists. I'm Amy. And I'm Michael. Hello. Now, uh, Kia Starmer has been in the news in the UK a lot recently for his involvement with Brexit. Uh, for any overseas listeners who may not be fully aware who he is, he is a Labour MP who is also the Shadow Secretary of State for exiting the European Union. Before becoming a Member of Parliament, though, he was the Director of Public Prosecutions and the Head of the Crown Prosecution Service. He was basically the highest prosecutor in the British judicial system, a title that no doubt many people were very jealous of. And the subject of today's story, one man even pretended to be him. Uh, Today's con man was so audacious in the characters he adopted, the press eventually nicknamed him King Con. This is the story of Paul Bint. Bint's prolific con man career did not start with being a lawyer. The first known con pulled by Paul was in 1983. Paul walked into a hospital in Kettering, stole a white coat and a stethoscope and began pretending he was a doctor. He used his doctor credentials to steal money from patients and robbed fellow hospital colleagues. This worked well and went totally undetected. So Paul naturally continued this con at other hospitals. A year later, he was at the Whittington Hospital claiming to be Dr. Dominic York. Dr. York had been studying medicine in the States, so none of his colleagues would question his educational history. If you've seen the movie Catch Me If You Can, this will seem a little bit familiar. This is very similar to Frank Abagnale, who we'll have to cover at some point, but at the moment I just feel like I'm saving him. Like He's like the king of con artists, I think, so we'll come to him. I don't know, we're sort of working up to it. Uh, but yeah, so this will seem a bit like a bit familiar if you've seen that film. It's scary, isn't it, that someone could just roam around a hospital and no one would check if he's actually an employee. And also, like, what was it, like 1983? It's not like it was like the 1900s or like it's 1980s. Like now, that I mean, this is probably why DBS and CR on what used to be known as CRBs um, so <laughs> heavily like, relied upon, yeah. Yeah, like if you work for the NHS now, it takes four months um, for you to start your job from the date that you're like been offered it, and that is probably why. So people don't pretend to be these practitioners, and you have to register yeah. with like bodies. Yeah, so there's definitely more checks in place now for who gets into those sorts of roles. But could someone just walk off the street now, put a white coat on, and pretend to be a doctor? I mean, to a point. Probably. Like, why would anyone question it if you're in the corridors of a hospital dressed like a doctor? Yeah, but like his colleagues didn't question it either. So it's not like he's just gone onto a ward, spoke to a patient. I can kind of get that. But his colleagues, like he was working there. It's stunning, isn't it? He didn't use his doctor credentials simply to steal from people in the hospital, though. Paul Bint, posing as Dr. York, performed a number of medical procedures around the wards. He consulted with patients, booked people in for x-rays, changed someone's drip, and even gave 12 stitches to a man with a head injury. There was even a claim that he was present during an emergency heart surgery procedure. To Bint, at this stage, hospitals were not only the perfect place for him to adopt a character, but it elevated his sense of self-worth and supported his extravagant lifestyle. With the procedures, I'm guessing that he wasn't found out like that they went okay 
which actually <laughs> would annoy any doctors who <laughs> are like studying for years and years and years and don't stop studying throughout their whole career. This guy just comes in with, you know, needle and thread. And one bam, like no one, no one knows any different. It's also interesting, isn't it? How a uniform can just be a shortcut to people just trust you. We all do this, right? You see a doctor, you know, you, know, you don't ask your doctor for ID or proof of his qualifications. You see him in a white coat with a stethoscope around his neck and go, oh yeah, if he tells me to take these tablets, I'll take them. Like we just trust these people. Based on this story, I'm going to be asking for every single form of ID next time I go to the GP. <laughs> I don't think we should be encouraging that either, because otherwise the NHS will ground to a halt and it'll all be our fault because everyone's doing too many checks. Trust your doctor. It's probably fine. When he was later challenged that he had endangered people's lives, Pullbin was incredulous, insisting that he had read the medical books, knew exactly what he was doing and at no point was anyone in danger. Again, sorry to all the doctors listening. <laughs> yeah, so your point about, you know, he's literally just swanned in. He thinks, yeah, I can do stitches. I've read the book. I know how to do stitches. Fine. Do you think there's like a surgery for dummies? You know, like there is um, like computer for dummies that my dad got, you know, yeah. in the early, <laughs> in the early uh, noughties when he couldn't figure out how to use a Microsoft computer. Yeah. Yeah. Brain surgery for idiots. So by day, a doctor. By night, a socialite. Paul Bint's operations as a con man were not confined to hospitals. In the evenings, he would visit nightclubs where he would use his false medical credentials to seduce women. He is even quoted as using the line, trust me, I'm a doctor. What an absolute lad, trust me, I'm a doctor. You're not Paul, you're not a doctor. He would sleep with women and then rob them. Paul Bint himself would later brag that he bedded over 2,500 women. Some of the women he seduced suggested he was very caring and generous. His generosity, however, was with the intention of later conning them out of far greater sums. One of his former lovers was quoted as saying, Paul couldn't come to terms with his own ordinariness. Paul Bint's stint as a doctor did eventually come to an end. In 1984, whilst posing as an A&E doctor, he was arrested. Over the years, at various trials, defence counsels would claim that Bint was suffering from mental illness or psychosis. In 1984, the judge dismissed these claims and sentenced Bint to five years in prison. What do you think of the... Uh, I mean, you work in mental health. What do you think of mental health as a defence to a crime like this, like walking in off the street and pretending to be a doctor? Do you think there's any justification in that? Well, like psychosis, people, uh, you know, they can believe, like have grandiose ideas. So he might believe he's a doctor. And I've actually worked with people who have thought themselves as either royalty or they thought themselves as, you know, people of a great stature because the whole thing about mental health is maybe you've got really low self-esteem, maybe you've had some trauma. So then you then have these sort of delusional ideas. So it wouldn't be unknown but it seems quite calculated and I, I would think that people would then eventually see through it do you know what I mean like if you're having a psychotic episode they're short periods of time so he would zone in and out of being a doctor is that sort of what you mean kind of I suppose it's it, it's difficult to say I, I I wouldn't really want to say either way really it, it's not unknown it wouldn't be unlikely but also he seems quite 
you know, he's kept up with this pretense for years and years. Yeah, and he's doing it to rob women and stuff. Like, he's he's pretty calculating with it, you think? Yeah, like, he's a bit of a nasty bugger, isn't he, really, this one? Yeah, agreed. When he was eventually released from prison, Paul Bint returned to his conman ways, although he adopted a new strategy. Presumably, hospitals will have heard about his conviction, so pulling the same scam again would have been tricky. This time, in an arguably even more audacious con, Paul Bint took on the personas of rich, wealthy and highly respected individuals. Some of the characters he adopted included the Duke of Arundel. Arundel is a market town on the south coast of England. Using his alias, he was able to con a car salesman out of an £83,000 Ferrari. Paul Bint stole a number of items to convince people of his wealth and used his false personas to help him steal, conning to steal and stealing to con. He also invented a wealthy aristocrat by the name of Piers Oppenheimer. As Pierce, Paul was able to steal a Porsche and Gatecrasher party hosted by Viscount Lindley, who is Princess Margaret's son. At this party, Paul Bint had a bottle of Dom Perignon champagne sent to Koo Stark's table. Koo Stark being an American photographer who had a relationship in the 80s with Prince Andrew. So these are the circles that he wants to hang in, sort of nobility. We've seen this before, haven't we, with con men? Like, do you remember Gregor McGregor, the, the guy who invented paradise? All he wanted to do was socialise with the rich and famous and be wealthy. And now we're seeing that idea of grandeur again. Because I think people associate, obviously, fame with success and everybody kind of wants to be successful, don't they? Interesting, yeah. So it's the fame they're after. They just can't be bothered with, you know, doing any work for it. They just can't, you know, play the flute very well. Police had been keeping eyes on Paul since his initial release from prison. And in 1988, he was arrested and sentenced again, this time to four years in prison. He thinks he's invincible, doesn't he, this guy? I mean, clearly he isn't. He keeps getting caught, but... He keeps trying, doesn't he? You know, these prison sentences, he's not really learned. They've not rehabilitated him well, have they, into the community? Absolutely not. He comes out of prison, goes straight back to doing it again. In 1993, he was a free man again. This time, he decided to work in hospitals again. He again posed as a doctor, treating patients without any expertise in a bid to earn respects and fill his wallet. This time, he based himself at St. James's Hospital in Leeds before heading to York District Hospital, where the depravity of his con reached a whole new low. Whilst at York District Hospital, a 17-year-old girl was rushed to the hospital following an accident. Paul Bint assured the parents of the girl that she would live. Just six hours later, the girl died. That is pretty horrible. What did he get out of that is the thing I don't get. Like, did he actually think, there's like two sides, isn't it? Did he actually think that she was going to be okay because he had no idea into her condition because he is not a doctor? So that's the delusion again, potentially. Or just like arrogance, like being a bit ignorant, not knowing, like if you saw somebody unwell, we're not, you know, we're not trained medical professionals. So we wouldn't know the severity of an illness, would we? But he thinks he knows it all. So he's just passing on advice to people that he shouldn't. I think it's probably that one. I think it's the arrogance, probably. Yeah. Just does seem like a very heartless thing to do, doesn't it? Oh, she's going to be fine. Oh, wait, no, she's not. I mean, he is an arsehole, isn't he? But, you know. Following the incident, Paul Bint became an inpatient at a Yorkshire psychiatric hospital. 
Later the same year, he was discharged and walked into the Royal Preston Hospital in Lancashire, where he effectively picked up where he left off. Here, he even tried to take on the role as an anaesthetist. This is Kerry Danes, who is a psychologist, talking on the Paul Bint case. I view Paul Bint as a compensatory narcissist. So what that means is that the reality of himself is so inadequate that he wants to escape from that. So he retreats into a fantasy world. He'll be preoccupied with fantasies of himself as brilliant, as successful, as confident and everything that he would wish to be. In this instance, it was his love of the ladies that would lead to his next capture. He was seeing a woman in Preston who found his constant references to being a doctor to be a little suspicious. In fact, he rarely spoke about anything else. Her mother also suspected that there was something not quite right about Paul Bint, so Paul's girlfriend went to the police. Throughout questioning, he insisted that he was a doctor, using the ID of a genuine doctor that actually worked at the hospital. This was an ID that he'd stolen. Police eventually revealed to Bint that they knew his true identity from his fingerprints. So in 1994, he was sentenced again, this time for five years. When this sentence came to an end, every UK hospital and local police force were alerted to his release to try and ensure he couldn't repeat offend. Why didn't they do this before? Why the first time he was let out of prison go, oh, remember that guy was pretending to be a doctor just so you know he's out of prison now? He probably won't do it again, but just keep an eye out. That wouldn't be apparent now, would it? Like, I would like to think there's better systems in place now. I, I don't know. I would hope there are. Yeah, there are. Maybe in the back of this case. <laughs> when Paul was released, he began posing as a lawyer, specifically the lawyer in the Lockerbie bombing trial. Under this pretense, he convinced rail chiefs to put him up in a luxury hotel in Edinburgh. He was eventually rumbled and sentenced to a further nine months in prison. In 2001, again out of prison, he returned to Scotland and claimed to be a property tycoon. He made an appointment at a sports car dealership under the name Paul Blenheim. He wore a Versace suit, was well-spoken, had a state-of-the-art Blackberry and claimed to own a hotel in Mauritius. He was utterly convincing as someone in the market for a car of this price. First, Paul Bint test drove a Ferrari, but Paul said it was a bit noisy and didn't quite match the image that he was looking for. He said an Aston Martin would be much more him. The car salesman took him out for a test drive and he loved it. Paul stopped to make a few phone calls to his bank, requesting a banker's draft to pay for the vehicle. The banker's draft was going to take a little while to arrange, so the salesman suggested they stop for lunch and suggested a nice pub nearby. They parked up and the salesman took the car key. Together they ordered some food and Paul popped out of the pub to make some more phone calls to arrange the banker's draft. When the food arrived, the salesman went to check on Paul. He and the Aston Martin were nowhere to be seen. It turns out Paul had pocketed the spare car key for the Aston Martin whilst inspecting the car's paperwork back at the showroom. The car was found four days later. It had done 900 miles and suffered £15,000 worth of damage. Police along with the car salesman quickly identified the con man as Paul Bint and he was soon caught. The sentence this time was two years and nine months. How do you do £15,000 worth of damage to a car in four days, having only driven it 900 miles? What was he doing to it? 
It's like that scene with Leonardo DiCaprio in The Wolf of Wall Street where he drives the car <laughs> thinking that he's drove it superbly and he's absolutely off his head on goodness knows what. And then the police come and the car's all battered. Equally, he's as battered in both senses of the word. I have now imagined it to be exactly like that, yeah. In December of 2002, he was released from prison and quickly launched into his next scam which would be his biggest yet. So he's in and out of prison like a yo-yo, this guy. And he's not, you know, he comes out of prison and he's straight away onto his next con. What, what do you think about the release of repeat offenders? Like, I can't, obviously, you can't condone just keeping someone in prison because they might do it again. But he's proven now, he's been in and out of prison like five or six times, he's proven he's going to come out and do it again. Uh, well, a lot of the time now, people are on like either licenses with like probation or they'll have a tag for a short period of time or they'll be on like a suspended sentence or, you know, basically if they committed anything, like on a license for like 12 months and then if something happens in that 12 months, they'll just get whipped straight back into prison. But it doesn't seem that there was anything in place. I'm sure that would have been a thing in the 1990s. Like it wasn't that long ago. Yeah. Although I suppose if you're a repeat offender like Paul Bint is, where you're straight away going to do it, being on probation probably isn't enough to stop you from doing it, is it? I suppose he's not like put off as he by going into prison, but like being on a tag or anything mm. like that, I'd be able to monitor him. You know, you have to sign your agreement or whatever. Yeah, yeah. It's difficult, isn't it? There's obviously just some offenders that prison isn't going to work for. There's some people that just aren't going to be rehabilitated. And I don't know what you do with those people. Um, this is what happens to them. They're just in and, in out. and out like a yo-yo. Upon his release, Paul Bint headed for London and again returned to hospitals. But this time, he wasn't there as a doctor. He was there as a patient. He claimed to be a very high-profile lawyer who was regularly in the news at the time. Orlando Pownall QC was reasonably well-known as the prosecutor in the case of the murder of Jill Dando. He claimed he'd been in a car crash in his Aston Martin and he was in a lot of pain. He submitted to a number of medical exams and his urine sample showed an alarming amount of blood, which convinced doctors to keep him in for observation. He, of course, hadn't been in a car accident as he'd gotten to London by train. Presumably, the blood in his sample was put there by Bint himself. Whilst in hospital, he had a roof over his head, three meals a day and 24-7 care, all whilst depriving somebody else of a bed. Whilst in hospital, he identified his next key victim, a nurse working in the hospital. She was not involved with working on Bint's care, but he simply got to know her around the hospital. Once discharged, they agreed to meet up. He was a highly esteemed lawyer and his dad apparently lived on Millionaire's Row. However, he put forward a convoluted excuse for why he couldn't stay there. He was stuck for accommodation and needed somewhere to stay. The nurse offered Bint her spare room, which he accepted, and in staying with her, he had access to her belongings, clothes and money. This is Bint's prosecuting solicitor, Karen Holt. He took the laptop um, computer, he took cheques, he took money, um, both from her purse and indeed by apparently borrowing it and of course never, never returning it, uh, and more than one credit card, um, all of which were used to buy, in the main, extremely expensive suits. The nurse quickly became suspicious of Bint. At a party they attended together, he had no money and relied entirely on handouts for drinks. 
At home, she had caught him going through her things, so she politely asked him to leave. Only after he'd gone did she hear a terrifying bit of news. The man she thought was staying with her, Orlando Pownall QC, was actually on holiday in Barbados with his family. The man she'd allowed to stay in her house was an imposter. Can you imagine being her at that point? You've had this guy living with you for a couple of weeks. He leaves. Suddenly you realise he was never that guy at all. He's completely took advantage of her nice nature. She's often associated with being a nurse, you know, caring, kind. And he's just completely exploited her, hasn't he? Yeah, not only had somewhere to stay, but he's robbed her in the process. Yeah, awful. You'd feel like a right mug, wouldn't you? The nurse went to the police and she identified Paul Bint as her fake lawyer friend. Meanwhile, Paul Bint was homeless again, so decided to try his hospital scam again. He arrived at Hemel Hempstead Hospital, this time by ambulance. On arrival, though, exactly the same sequence of events played out as in his last previous visit. Highly regarded lawyer, been in an Aston Martin car crash, now with blood in his urine. Whilst he was resident at Hemel Hempstead Hospital, a number of staff and patients, including Paul Bint, reported that they had had money stolen. When he was discharged, he immediately moved on to another hospital and repeated the process once more. Do you think he's enjoying this? Like, it seems like an odd existence, doesn't it? Trawing around hospitals, pretending to have an illness that you don't have, whilst robbing everyone who works or staying there. Do you think, is this a happy existence for him? He's just on, like, eat, sleep, cheat, repeat. Yeah. Like, <laughs> At this third hospital, Paul Bint even stole a credit card from a man who was dying and used it to wine and dine a woman who he'd met whilst at the second hospital. Police were already onto him, though. Whilst at the third hospital, Paul Bint had tried to chat up a lady who initially turned him down. However, the police encouraged her to meet with Paul, and when they met, the police interrupted their date and arrested Paul Bint. Paul was sentenced for four years and four months in prison. Next, in 2009, he adopted more personas, this time as prominent lawyer Kier Starmer. He wore a pinstripe suit, carried bundles of papers tied in red ribbon and even bought a lawyer's wig to complete the ensemble. Here's a clip of Paul Bint in a taxi as portrayed by the reconstruction that aired on the BBC show Crime Watch. So you're very high up in the profession then? Yeah, I like to think so. That'll be £60, please, mate. 60 OK. It looks like someone's lifted my wallet. Have you got your checkbook at all or a credit card? Everything is in my wallet. I... Really? If I give you my card, my name's uh, Keir Starmer. Yeah. Come to the office in the morning and pick the money up. Is that okay? You can never trust the barrister, eh? <laughs> Conning a taxi driver out of £60 was only a small part of his deception whilst pretending to be Keir Starmer. However, it was this that would ultimately lead to his capture yet again. He also used his very impressive credentials to win over women through lonely heart sections of newspapers and online dating sites. He told many different stories to many different victims. To some, he claimed to be friends with the singer Robbie Williams. To others, he said he had socialised with actor Piers Brosnan and actually owned the Aston Martin that featured in the Bond movie Goldeneye. To others, he claimed that he'd previously been married to the comedy actor Sarah Alexander. It's all very easy to fact check this stuff. It's amazing that people sort of buy into it. Like if someone said, oh, you know, I used to be married to Sarah Alexander. Surely you just go online and check and go, no, you weren't. 
I suppose it is early 2000s. Maybe, maybe, maybe it wasn't as easy. Well, it's not. It's like 2009. That's when I was at uni. You could definitely use a bit of Google. So he's, the lies he's pulling are absurd. He's got he's he's snowballed, doesn't he, from j- just being a doctor to everything now. Absurdity. And like, kind of how it's written, like you know, like lonely hearts um, and you know online dating. Like back then, even though it was only ten years ago, online dating was seen as like a bit odd, like Tinder wasn't about, Match.com wasn't about. And so I think it attracted maybe quite vulnerable women. Maybe. That's I don't probably know. true. Yeah. Because it wasn't like seen as cool, was it? You couldn't like swipe right, you know. He convinced his female acquaintances to offer him accommodation and while staying with them, robbed them of money and valuables. The taxi driver who had been conned out of £60 turned up at the offices of the real Keir Starmer insisting on being paid the money he was owed, at which point they quickly realised that somebody had stolen Kia Starmer's identity. The fake Kia Starmer had given the taxi driver a phone number, and when the police ran a check on the phone number, they realised the phone was registered to serial fraudster Paul Bint. What a moron. I mean, that's just basic. He's, he's actually an idiot. He's losing it a little bit by this point, isn't he? <laughs> Whilst this was going on, in Windsor, Paul Bint, claiming to be Keir Starmer, had a run-in with a wheel clamper. The local newspaper had arrived and fake Keir Starmer spoke to the paper and even provided them with a quote. This was a huge scoop for the local newspaper, so they ran the story on their front page. The arrogance of him! Like, it absolutely blows my mind. He's now talking to the press, pretending to be Keir Starmer, who's a very famous bloke, by the way. People know who he is. And he's giving quotes to the newspapers. What an idiot. Does he look like him? Like, because he's pretended to be loads of different people. Well, um, we'll put a photo online of Paul Bint so you can have a look. I don't, I don't think he looks like him. But I suppose, like, a famous lawyer, people probably don't know what he looks like. He's in the news a lot. He's in the newspapers and stuff. He's named, but people probably don't necessarily know what he looks like. Police checked the car involved in the incident and it led them to a woman that he was involved with at the time. They found Paul and he was arrested. This is the woman in question, Diane, talking about her run-in with Paul Bint. I felt quite sick, actually. I felt this person had been in my house, took money out of my account, he drove my car, just profusely lied and made out that he was somebody he was not. In court, he denied all allegations, but the jury found Bint guilty of fraud and he was sentenced to three years in prison. So, he was last convicted in 2009, but it'll be out again now. And after quite a bit of digging, there's no news of him reoffending since. Has Paul Bint finally been rehabilitated? Has he learnt the error of his ways? It's possible. Has he stopped lying? It's possible. I mean, it seems like a long shot, but it is possible, I guess. Where is he now? What's he doing? Or has he got a new identity? That's also possible, yeah. I just hope he's not in my local hospital. That's all I hope. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please tell your friends about us and leave us a review on the Apple Podcasts. Would really help us out. Have a great week and we'll see you again soon. Bye. Bye.